were sitting courtside in Atlanta, you noticed that the game changed once Mike Conley got into the game. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga, talking about Mike Conley's case for the All-Star team. Plus, Tom Haberstroh, True Hoop, also of the Haber Show, National NBA Insider, he joins us to talk about the process of the Jazz retooling the offense to surround itself with more three-point shooting and the shot accuracy leading to one of the best offenses in the league. But first, I've got to say, if you look just at Mike Conley's box score for the end of Thursday's game against Atlanta, you just gloss over it. What you're missing is how and when the Jazz took over the game. Because in the first half, Mike has three fouls, isn't involved that much, doesn't get off his shots, but it all turns in that third quarter. When he's back on the floor and the Jazz have him, they score 35 points and the game's over. It's 80-63 to at the end of the quarter. After going through a first-half slog where it looked very 90s-esque, 45-37 at the break. And this is without Trey Young for the Hawks. So how did Mike do it? He had 11 points, 4 assists. On those 4 assists, the first one was to a Donovan Mitchell 3-pointer. Number 2 and 3 were Rudy Dunks, alley-oops. And then the fourth one was finding Jordan Clarkson for a three. His 11 points come in the flow of the game. He's pushing the offense to pass. That's the argument that you have to lead out on for should this player go to the all-star team. One of the best guards never to go. This may be the year. And the outside stats, how efficiently he's doing it. Shooting from three, 40%. Averaging 16 points, six assists. I'm sure by now you know about 538's Raptor stat he's leading. But real box plus minus, he's number two in the Western Conference for point guards. This may be Mike Conley's year. And you can help make it, as always, tweeting out Mike Conley, hashtag NBA All-Star. There are double days, but if you see when the Jazz are tweeting about it, you can follow their lead. Really tremendous stuff by Mike Conley. And you saw, like... John Hollinger, his boy in the athletic, he picked Conley to make the all-star team. And sure, you can say Grizzlies bias, yeah, yeah, yeah. But every single story that you're seeing over the next couple weeks, days, as national media takes over and starts covering this team in a bigger fashion, what's always in that story? Control F, comfortable, and it's linked to Mike Conley. It'd be new. But I think an all-star jersey would be comfortable on Mike Conley. Okay, as always, help others find the podcast, Round Ball Roundup. We're everywhere. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, five-star reviews. That's all I ask of you. Ahead of talking to Tom Haberstroh, let's hear this stat. The only jazz rotation players who take less than half their shots from three are Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, and Derek Favors. That's the tee-up that I'll leave for you out of talking to National NBA insider Tom Haberstroh. He gets into what's launched the Jazz into a top five 
offense and defense, according to Cleaning the Glass. Enjoy. Well, who could have thought and predicted that the Utah Jazz would have the highest three-point rate in the NBA? But that's where we're at, is that the Utah Jazz, um, with Mike Conley, with uh, a non-shooting center, um, have just fired up three-pointers like they're the Houston Rockets of yore. Like, this is, this is a huge turnaround from what we've kind of been watching uh, years ago with the Utah Jazz embracing the three-point shot, and they've really doubled down. Um, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Donovan Mitchell, uh, Royce O'Neal, they're all taking more threes this year. And you know what? That's good. The process is very smart. Is They were the best three-point shooting team in the NBA last year by field goal percentage. And they've decided, hey, we should do more of that. <laughs> um, and so a lot of it is early shot clock, um, in transition, pull-up threes. You're seeing that a lot from Jordan Clarkson. And it's just kind of a trust factor with your players is Quinn Snyder um, and the bolstered coaching staff with Dell Demps. I think they've felt comfortable enough with the continuity of this team that they should believe in a little bit of that improv uh, in the open court, pushing the pace, getting to those open three-pointers that we see so much from Stephen Curry and Damian Lillard. Why can't Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, and Mike Conley do that? And so you're seeing so much more of that deep three, transition three, that really wasn't part of the Utah Jazz arsenal the last few years. And that's really accelerated their progression this season. And as we're taping this, JP, they have the best record in, in the NBA. So it certainly has paid dividends, this reliance on the most profitable shot in the NBA outside of the dunk, the three-pointer. Well, and I look on cleaning the glass and I see how three-point rate for the Jazz is it's like 45% three-point uh, shooting for them as far as how many attempts that they're getting up. It's, it's not the Rockets. They were 46-48 last year, yeah. but it's still there. How does it allow them to do this when they have Rudy down low? Well, you, you can do both things, right? You don't have to always pull up in transition or get, you know, an early three up. You can also run your half court offense and try to get some rim, rim running and that vertical spacing. I learned about this concept with Eric Spolstra a few years ago. They were trying to win championships and there was something missing on the roster that they just could not pinpoint. Um, and they signed Chris Anderson, Birdman, off the scrap heap. And he comes in after running mountains in Denver, by the way, to stay in shape in the off season, he would run up and down mountains. And it was just, you know, that's, that's Birdman, right? Um, and Spo was talking about how there's, there's three point spacing and then there's vertical spacing. Vertical spacing is when you throw a lob to Rudy Gobert, suddenly the perimeter defenders have to collapse. They get sucked into the paint and you just, are creating that magnetic feel where you're drawing defenders in, not because you're stretching the floor with three-point shooters, but you're creating this vertical spacing where you have this gravity towards Rudy Gobert at the rim. And once players start collapsing at the rim, that opens up the three-point shot for the guys in the corner. Um, you know, so you can get spacing, oddly enough, from having a rim runner. And so when you have you know, an offense like the Utah Jazz, who have been very, you know, pass heavy in years past, you, know, you can run some straight up pick and rolls, get Rudy Gobert going to the rim. 
had the defense collapse and try to stop that lob or stop the Kobe assist when you miss a layup and then Rudy Gobert dunks it. Um, or you can just spray to three-point shooters. So I think you can have both. You can have the up-tempo three-point offense, but also the more traditional pick-and-roll drive, uh, drive and kick, or drive and lob. It's been working so far this year. And the other thing that's been working is defensively, things are, are looking great for them. The concern last year was they had – this top five offense once Jordan Clarkson joined the fold, but defensively things were so stressed on Rudy Gobert. How's it changed this year to where maybe it's not as, as stressed on him doing everything for them defensively? Yeah. I mean, I looked the, the other night with Nikola Jokic. Uh, wasn't the Jazz best night defensively, but interestingly enough, Derek Favors spent more time on Rudy Go, I mean, uh, on Jokic as Rudy Gobert did. And they just didn't have that last year. You know, Derek Favors has really um, helped out matters down low, a really smart veteran guy that I know jazz fans uh, have, you know, go way back on. And so Derek Favors, I think has helped solidify a lot of the defensive um, woes that they had last year. Um, he's, he's just a veteran guy that knows where to be the right spots to be. Uh, might not have the athleticism that he did when he came into the NBA, but you don't need that when you're, when you have a backup center like that. Um, and, and just collectively, I think Mike Conley has another year under his belt in the system. Um, and I think one thing we shouldn't discount is that a lot of the teams that are struggling this year have, have been dealing with COVID issues. And, and so far, that hasn't ripped through the Jazz system. So I think they're, they're beneficiaries of that, whether it's luck or whether it's part of their process is that they've been able to take advantage of other teams that have had, you know, been, been beleaguered by a lot of the COVID protocols. So we'll see if, you know, Rudy Gobert or, um, or Eric Favors have to be out for any significant time with an injury, God forbid that happens, but they are still very much the engines of this defense and everyone I think has bought in defensively and made sure that this isn't just a boom or bust one one-way team they need to have top 10 offensive rating and defensive rating and so far this season they're one of the few te few teams who rank at the top of the nba on both ends of the floor where were you on the jordan clarkson experience last year to where it's all of a sudden become a six man of the year candidate this year Man, he's like Lou Will now. Uh, Lou Williams, look, he, he just looks like a guy who could just walk in and get 20 uh, in, before you know it. And Jordan Clarkson has always been a gunner, right? Like with the, with the Cavs, the question on him was, does his style of play translate in the postseason? And still, we're not entirely sure whether Jordan Clarkson, what you're seeing right now where he's a walking bucket, actually translates to the postseason when – you know, it's all about getting those 16 wins. Draymond Green likes to say they're 82 game players and they're 16 game players. Meaning in the playoffs, when you're trying to win a championship, you need 16 wins. And Jordan Clarkson, we know that he's an 82 game player. Like he's, he can fill it up in, in any night in January. The question is when it comes to June, whether he's going to be able to do that. Um, but let's not d diminish what he's doing this season. I mean, the three-point shooting, again, he's the guy who has really leaned in to the transition three, the early shot clock three. And you know what? When you're shooting at a clip like he has at 38%, eight attempts a game, I mean, that's a good shot. 
Um, and so I just think when Jordan Clarkson is able to be that bench solidifier that they acquired him for last year, uh, that just solves so many issues. You can go out and get a Derek Favors. You can move Joe Ingles to the, to the second unit because you have that shot creator that's going to soak up all of those possessions and let those other guys focus on what they do well, being a star in their role. And so Jordan Clarkson is, is one of the more valuable if not the most valuable bench player in the league, because that second unit last year without him, uh, it was just awful, tough sledding to watch offensively. And now um, they have one of the deepest teams in, in the NBA. Well, can it translate to March? What's your best guess? I think it can. Uh, or May, rather, not March. Yeah, March, March. March is in a month. Uh, I think Utah fans want to make sure it's May um, uh, or whenever. They wanted the June. They wanted June or maybe July. Who knows what the NBA schedule is? Who knows? Uh, we're, we're hoping it's June and July. If it gets past that, then we're, we're having problems with the season. Um, but look, you always worry that guys who are like Cal Corver, for example, I, I've, I've researched this a little bit, um, the Cal Corver problem, which is for whatever reason, three-point specialists uh, really struggle in the finals. I think because they can get kind of uh, played out, uh, they can get game planned off the floor is everyone knows your plays. Everyone knows the play that you're getting uh, Clay Thompson open or Kyle Korver open, Duncan Robinson open. And at that point, teams are going to be able to, to stop that. What you need is a dynamic player. Jordan Clarkson isn't just a spot-up shooter or a guy who stands in the corner. He's a guy who can shoot off the dribble and get to the rim for a bucket. But, um, you know, the guys that I worry about are the ones who just stand around and wait for their jumpers. But he's more dynamic. Um, and, he's, and he's shown that he's a walking bucket. So um, I'd like to see a little bit more ability to draw fouls because that is kind of just a, a high floor um, skill is that no matter if it's May or if it's uh, November, if you can get to the line at a high clip, I mean, that's going to be something you can get in the playoffs uh, that you can go back to the well for. So I'd like to see Jordan Clarkson get to the line a little bit more. And that would make me feel a little bit more confident that he has a high floor and you're not just kind of shooting in the dark, depending on the night in the playoffs. Well, and that's something that jazz fans have always been clamoring for Donovan is to get to the line more and, and to fulfill that Dwayne Wade prophecy of being the next uh, flash in this modern NBA game. What have you seen from Donovan year four as he's going through his season? Well, Donovan, I think people are expecting more this season simply because of what we saw in the bubble where he was just outrageously good. Um, is he all NBA this season? I think he's going to have some serious competition to get to that spot, but that's, you know, that's okay. He's 24 and a half years old. Like he's, he's, it's okay to not be an all NBA player just yet. Um, super consistent. I mean, if you look at his scoring average, the last three seasons, 23.8, 24.0, 23.3. I mean, it looks like he's plateaued, but that's with the defense keying in on him. Like the book is out on Donovan Mitchell, where he likes to go, where he likes to play his strengths and weaknesses and it's impressive to me that he's able to maintain a lot of his abilities, um, even though he's made so many strides as a player, he hasn't gotten less efficient. This year, you're seeing a career high in true shooting percentage, 
uh, thanks to his three-point shooting. Um, he's relying more on the three-point shot. I think that's smart. He does need to get to the line more. Like that's the next step is becoming more Bradley Beal-like. You know, Bradley Beal, the difference between a 25 scoring average and a 35 scoring average is understanding that if you can get 10 free throws a game, that's easy money. That's free money. It's just a little bit more banged up. You know, you're going to feel a little bit more achy and painy the next day. And so I think that still is another lever that he can pull. He's not maxed out. He has room to improve. Uh, but I do love his um, leaning into the three-point shot because he can get that anytime down the floor. He has the right handles. He has the right strength. Um, and he has a, a great jumper. So if he can get that shot off at a high rate like he is, keep doing it. Uh, I just would love to see a little bit more drawing contact the way that Derrick Rose went from amazing player to MVP. Uh, Bradley Beal went from good score to scoring leader is by getting to the free throw line a lot more. And that I think is what is going to catapult him into that next tier. Well, and I started thinking about this when I listened to your podcast with Steph Curry's trainer about is his body okay to take on that sort of weathering that, banging from all those fouls and going to the line just another thing that that i also consider in that in that sort of calculus looking at the eastern conference because the jazz will be going on an east coast trip and also playing east coast teams they're going to be playing the six of the top eight as of right now wednesday february 3rd what's the difference between the conferences what are you seeing from the eastern conference in the way that it's shaking up and and what are the tiers in that league well just look at the star power you have there i mean kd left the warriors joining the brooklyn nets you have james harden left the houston rockets uh and joined the brooklyn nets um it's it's a the the powers have tilted um i'm not just i'm not here saying that the eastern conference is better than than the western conference but certainly when you're looking at um the miami heat which are 13th in the Eastern Conference right now, uh, there's a real depth here. And the Toronto Raptors right now would not make the playoffs if the season ended today. And yet I think they probably scare as many teams uh, as any in the league just because they're so well coached and they have great star power and Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. And then the emerging talent of OG Ananobi. I mean, the East is, is, is really good this year. Look at the Charlotte Hornets. Um, I mean, I'll ask joked yesterday on the, on the Haber show with Seert Sohi. He said, this is becoming a Charlotte Hornets podcast. And it really feels that way because LaMelo Ball has been outrageously good um, as a 19-year-old. You have Gordon Hayward, who has become what Utah Jazz fans remembered him being before he left and actually tried to go to Charlotte and then ended up in Boston. Um, That team that the Utah Jazz are going to face on Friday is legit. They play super hard. Um, They're going to be able to pass the ball and try to attack the seams. They're not an ISO team. They're a team that really gets it moving at the highest assist rate in the NBA. And actually, I don't know if this is still true, but as of a week ago, they had the highest assist rate in NBA history, even more so than the 2017 Golden State Warriors, which, you know, Steve Kerr, their whole religion was moving the ball and just dizzying teams to the point where they could no longer stand because of all the ball movement. The Charlotte Hornets are assisting at a higher rate than that. So, you know, this is a much tougher Eastern Conference. And I think when the Utah Jazz face these, they go on this Eastern, uh, East, Eastern swing, it's going to feel like they're going against the Western Conference teams. It's just a lot of good talent um, when you go through these teams. 
what's been key for that turnaround uh, beyond the assist rate for the Hornets? I mean, Gordon Hayward. Um, I feel like he's the new Joe Johnson, where people are focusing way too much on the contract and not focusing enough on the player. For years, mm-hmm. Joe Johnson was the most expensive contract in the NBA, and he kind of had this like scarlet letter about him. He's like, oh, you better hope that, you know, your favorite team doesn't sign a Joe Johnson contract when Joe Johnson was still an all-star and the Atlanta Hawks were pretty damn good. In this case, the Gordon Hayward contract was ridiculed around the NBA. It's like, what are the Charlotte Hornets doing? And yet you're seeing, Hey, he is perfect in this environment of the NBA, super skilled, can handle the ball strong, can get to the rim, get the free throw line. He's averaging 23 points a game, a career high this year. And that's with the ball being in LaMelo Ball's hands and Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. Like this isn't a case where they're just giving him the ball every time. You know, he is having to share the ball with other ball handlers and he's still scoring at a high clip. Um, And you're also seeing just LaMelo Ball is, is super fun to watch. He's one of the most exciting players in the NBA. Forget young players, forget rookies. Um, he is a league, league pass alert every single night because he does something uh, several times a game that you just don't see in the NBA. I mean, he's hanging in his hang time. He's six eight. He's, he's lanky, but strong. Um, he can shoot from deep. Uh, he's got just this sixth sense of where everybody is on the floor. His no look passing is functional. Like you see a lot of players in today's NBA and do a no look pass just for uh, show. No, this is substance. What he's doing is he's looking off defenders strategically so that they move one way and then that opens up a passing lane another way. And you see it, um, you know, with so few players in the NBA are able to play ch- chess when everyone's playing checkers offensively. LeBron's in that category. Steph Curry's in that category. Um, you know, Luka Doncic is in that category. I think LaMelo Ball is in that category of players that are seeing two plays ahead, uh, two beats ahead. And or a, I, I think he's Jason Kidd 2.0. He's that good filling up the scoring column and just getting everyone the ball. Big guy, gets a lot of rebounds. Um, I think he could be the next Jason Kidd in today's NBA. Can you defend? Oh, yeah. I mean, he was leading the NBA in steal rate for, for a big chunk of the season. Um, he's 6'8". He's a big dude. Like, I think that's the number one thing you hear from players and coaches that play him is he's way bigger than I thought. He's not some little kid anymore. We, we remember... LaMelo Ball playing on, you know, social media and playing as a little kid. He's not a little kid anymore. I mean, he's like six, seven, six, eight. So he, um, he's going to be able to defend bigger guys at the two and at the three, not just point guards. And he has a real knack for the ball. So yes, he gambles a little too much, just like any talented 19 year old will, who's just trying to figure out the NBA game. But the, basketball IQ translates defensively where he has one of the highest steal rates in the league. And if he can just kind of lower the tendencies of just gambling and trying to go for the passing lanes, going for the home run play rather than the single or the double play, I think he'll benefit from that. Um, But he is, he's got the tools to become an all in all uh, defensive team player. The team Gordon Hayward left squad that the jazz would be taking on next Tuesday, the Celtics, what have you seen from them so far this year? Jalen Brown, what can you say about him? I mean, the dude just isn't happy with just being another really good player in the NBA. He wants to be an all-star. He wants to be an all-NBA player, and he's playing like it. 
Uh, Jason Tatum has been out with COVID issues uh, for five plus games this season. And Jalen Brown has taken over the offense and he's averaging 27 points a game. Jalen Brown, I mean, a guy who couldn't dribble when he came into the NBA is now one of the best ISO scorers in the league um, because of that handle. Super improved, super cerebral player, uh, and very much has taken the reins as 1A and 1B with this team along with Jason Tatum. So um, that's the biggest thing you see this year from the Boston Celtics is Jalen Brown's ascension into an all-star caliber player. The issues there are at, at the center position, the bigs. They haven't really figured out Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson, what they're going to do, uh, whether they're going to go with two bigs or just one big. They've really leaned into the two big lineup. I think that kind of limits their, their ceiling a bit. Um, Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson aren't dynamic enough, in my opinion, to be a four and five in today's league starting, uh, both starting in that lineup. So I'm curious to see what happens, whether they make a move for a J.J. Redick, uh, to get more shooting because they're the anti um, the anti Utah Jazz. They're 24th, uh, 23rd in three-point rate. So they have the 23rd lowest percentage of field goals coming from beyond the arc. And I think J.J. Goretta could really help them. Kemba Walker's been banged up all year with a knee injury. The Celtics haven't really put it all together, and yet there they are uh, at a – at a, at 11 and eight at the top of the Eastern conference, uh, they're doing well, but they're not challenging for a championship quite yet. They still are in that tier below, uh, the Clippers, the Lakers, and in my opinion, the 76ers. What about the 76ers jumps them up? Um, wow. Jo- Joel Embiid is, is as complete of any big man as you'll find in the league, like Giannis included. Defensively, he's a, a monster around the rim. He's not a guy who's going to switch out on perimeter guys in the pick and roll and be able to defend them at a high level, play in and play out. But he keeps people away from getting into the paint. And if you do that, that's a big win in today's NBA. Joel Embiid is, uh, I mean, on the short list of two-way players in the league, I mean, you got Giannis, you got Kawhi. You can throw KD and LeBron in there. Um, and that's just about it. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing somebody in there, but in terms of two-way star power, Paul George, uh, Joel Embiid is as good as any player in the league. And um, he's, if not the MVP this year, he's top three MVP candidate. And I love the way they built their roster around uh, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, getting Seth Curry, who's been uh, in protocols this year for much of the year, but they've really emphasize Tobias Harris a lot more. You're seeing a big year out of Tobias Harris, making good on that huge contract like Gordon Hayward is, where he's more known about the contract than he is his actual productivity. Uh, But Joel Embiid surrounding them with shooters, uh, with Daryl Morey being the GM, the guy who coming from Houston Rockets, has been a huge help. And Philly is absolutely reminding people that, hey, they were one bounce away from taking down the Toronto Raptors a couple years ago when they won, won it all, they were one bounce away from sending that game into overtime and potentially taking out the eventual NBA champ. So there is a alternate universe here, JP, in which the Philadelphia 76ers have already won a title with this core. I think Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are good enough to win it all this year, um, especially with the core of Danny Green and uh, Seth Curry and Shake Milton being able to uh, bolster that star power with shooting. 
Nothing wrong with alternate universes. I'm sure jazz fans would love an alternate universe where Mike Conley's shot at the end of game seven goes down and that could change, change some things. Yeah, man. I mean, that whole bubble scenario, I mean, that was such a great, like, I can't even. It's going to be a series where it's so great. That's just going to be forgotten as far as, as one goes further and further down the line. I mean, that was like Ali Frazier with, with um, Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray. And then that shot rimming out. I mean, there's going to be a 30 for 30 documentary about the bubble and that shot, that play is going to be just that heartbreaking, like fade to black, right. Is just like, man, the Utah jazz, how epic would it have been to be the team that was in my opinion, um, wrongfully stigmatized because of having the Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell shutdown right after that to having that, that fairy tale finish with Mike Conley and, and Donovan Mitchell, that would have been just incredible. So man, um, it feels like yesterday in some ways and also feels like a decade ago, JP. It a hundred years ago for me. Okay. I no off season for the jazz. We just went straight into the draft right after it has been buzzing. And what do jazz fans know about heartbreak? It's not like uh, somebody has ever hit a, hit a shot late to beat them in an NBA finals or anything. Yeah, I actually have that free Darko um, print somewhere in my office that I haven't hung up in my new office, but it's, it's an amazing free Darko. Uh, I don't know if it's an RIP free Darko, but um, for those who are new to the internet, NBA internet, like this, this print that used to be sold on there is the Jordan shot but it's cartoonish and it's not just jazz fans in the audience it's every player that has been vanquished by michael jordan in the off in the background watching him shoot this shot and it's just a metaphor that like michael jordan has been the demon the monster the uh, freddy krueger for every player in the nba in that era charles barkley patrick ewing uh carl malone and the jazz i mean that shot. I still remember going into basketball practice as a kid in rec league and the coach, I must've been in like seventh grade, the coach printed out like the shot. I mean, Connecticut at this time and jazz fans. Yes. I'm reopening just deep wounds here, but my coach who didn't really know much about basketball, like printed out the New York times cover with the photo of him of the shot. And just for 20 minutes, in seventh grade basketball, he made all of us just simulate that shot for 20 oh, wow. minutes. We all just like pretended we were Michael Jordan. Um, and he just held up that, 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 that newspaper article. Um, and I'll never forget just like, I mean, watching the last dance during the, the shutdown, um, how poetic that finish was for Michael Jordan. And more of a nightmare than a dream. More of a nightmare for jazz fans, and I'm sorry. I'm apologizing uh, to the audience now. That's okay. We had to relive it watching that whole thing. Uh, was there a B-Russ in this scenario as you guys were reenacting the shot? Um, Did you have someone guard? Was somebody guarding you, or was it just one on O? Oh, it was one on O. I mean, that would okay. be pretty mean to make a kid. Uh, it's pretty mean be, to be russ <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think I think so much of that last dance, I was maybe the jazz are boring. Like, I don't think so. Like I, I, I felt that there should have been more of the jazz as the villains in that um, or the hero, 
and the, the Bulls are the villains. I don't know, depending on your perspective. But it really did feel like the Jazz, I was waiting for this like climactic Utah Jazz back and forth for a couple episodes. And maybe there just wasn't as good film or footage uh, to draw that up a little bit more. But yeah, um, Karl Malone, Stockton, I mean, man, those are some ri- ridiculously good teams. We're already here, so I'll, I'll go down that road. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, they got John, but they couldn't get Brian Russell. My man is very easy to find. We've had him on this podcast right here. He's an easy guy to, to figure out, and they weren't able to get him. I was surprised. I, I was surprised that the hate geography didn't reach out to some people on the Jazz. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's all about. Um, I think – Look, I certainly wouldn't want to talk. Um, if I'm Brian Russell, I might not want to talk about it. But, man, what if he did talk and they just were like, yeah, you saying that it was a push-off probably isn't going to go good for this fairy tale. So maybe we won't include that. But, um, like, I think, I think there's much more to be uh, talked about with those, those Utah Jazz teams. And I'm sure there will be 30 for 30s or what-ifs documentaries um, in the future about them. But... Uh, that's why I say, like, to to bring up Joe Johnson again, you know, Atlanta Hawks fans, they had – Jazz 50, legend. Yeah, jazz legend, um, uh, Joe Johnson. Like, Heat legend, Miami Heat legend. Um, you know what's weird is when I was covering the Miami Heat in 2010, 2011, this goes into the just, like, the, the, the abyss of the NBA season, NBA lore. Jerry Stackhouse was on that Miami Heat team. Like wow. Jerry Stackhouse um, was on that Miami Heat 2010 and 2011 team. And actually uh, Rudy Gobert, not Rudy Gobert, Rudy Gay hit a shot at the last second, one of the pivotal moments of the season. And I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I'm just going down this rabbit hole. Is like, man, um, Joe Johnson, Joe Johnson had himself quite a career. And, and with the Jazz, uh, it was memorable. That's for sure. Won a series against the, the Clippers with the, with the Jazz, Joe Johnson. And, and now he's doing like this uh, Team USA thing. Yeah, um, I, yeah, <laughs> going to an island with Team USA. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten traction, more traction. But uh, it's crazy to think that was that was only like a couple years ago, is the Joe Johnson era in Utah. The other one that I enjoy, just as someone who grew up around here, uh, with the Jazz, with the Heat, Carlos Arroyo as the point guard for the, those Heatles teams, as someone who his parents bought him, signed number 30 Utah Jazz shoes of Carlos Arroyo at a season ticket holder luncheon. Amazing to see the glow up by Puerto Rican icon, Carlos Arroyo. And I'll tell you, when we would go to the Heat games, there'd be a giant section of Puerto Ricans just going uh, crazy. Uh, for Carlos Arroyo he was starting for that team like he's he was the starter before Mike Bibby before Mario Chalmers came over Carlos Arroyo on a team that everyone thought was going to win 83 games in the season Um, not to demean Carlos Arroyo's name but people forget that you know Carlos Arroyo was a central figure on that team and he had such a loyal following there in in Miami Um, and the only other player that I remember getting more like international acclaim in Miami was Manu Ginobili. 
I mean, oh my God. It was like the Beatles came into town. Like Miami, when Carlos Arroyo would come out, there'd be people like out of the woodwork, you know, screaming his name with the Puerto Rican flag everywhere. But when Manu Ginobili came into Miami, it was like every Argentinian um, in the world made the trip to go to those games. Um, and I do miss those nights in Miami. I'm, I'm in Charlotte now, which I think is probably a lot more like Salt Lake um, than Miami. But it's just, I mean, the international influence in Miami, like Carlos Arroyo started next to Big Z, Zajunas Ilgauskas, um, for that Miami Heat team to start. And I'll just never forget how different the NBA was, that you had to have an Eric Dampier or a Zajunas Ilgauskas. Yeah, Joel Anthony, my guy. The first feature I ever wrote on an NBA player wow. was on Joel Anthony. And we went to a Mexican restaurant called Rosa Mexicana in Coral Gables. And um, he told me that he learned to play basketball from a book. He, he, it was like in high school, he was a football player in Canada. And he was so big. He was like six seven, six eight in high school. And he had never played basketball ever in his life. And someone suggested at a big and tall store, he was, sh he was shopping for clothes at a big and tall store. And a guy comes up to him and says, Hey man, if you're in this store, you better learn how to play basketball, go to the library and get this book called Alonzo mornings, like 30, uh, plays 30 pivot moves to, to learn as a big man and Alonzo mornings book. He went and got it at the library at his high school. And he just started learning basketball through Alonzo Mourning's book. And then who is the first guy to greet him in an NBA locker room? Alonzo Mourning himself was with the Miami Heat when he signed with the team. And just, uh, you know, that was like six years later after he picked up that book, he was now playing on the same team as Alonzo Mourning. So man, like every NBA player, whether it's, you know, Donovan Mitchell, or if it's, uh, you know, the, the last guy on the bench, they have those origin stories that just keep you coming back. Like, I'm sure, um, like, I haven't heard the story of Shaquille Harrison's, like, how the whole Shaq name came to be and mm -hmm. Shaquille O'Neal, but pretty sure it's a cool one. And um, that's a guy who, it was a great pickup by Utah, and I'm sure we'll pay dividends in this long season. Last thing for you, and then I'll let you go. What's the craziest thing that you had to cover from Heat Index back in that time? Oh, the craziest thing I had to cover. Um, I think it was probably NBA Finals 2013, the AC going out in San Antonio in the NBA mm -hmm. Finals. And the reason why I say that is not just because of the AC going out and the whole ridiculousness of that, but also like LeBron James being carried off the floor in an NBA finals game because of some conspiracy, you know, wacko's dream is that, you know, Greg Popovich and his minions like decided to cut off the AC in the building, uh, which, you know, that doesn't help the Spurs. They're an old team, an older roster. They would be just as hampered by that being at a thousand degrees as, as, my, as, uh, as LeBron James did. But here is the, the little detail in that story that got me in some hot water when I went on his and hers with Michael Smith and Jamel Hill on ESPN one day in the finals. 
I noticed that in that game, JP, that the San Antonio staffers had been handing out noisemakers that could double as fans. Wow. So, you know, when you go to your seat in a playoff game, there's usually a t-shirt or maybe it's like a, a noisemaker or something like that. They had these noisemakers that could fold up into like a fan, almost like you shook it. And you hit, you hit on your hand or something? Yeah, and you make noise. Okay, but it could yeah. very much double as, a, as a, a cooling fan. And so when the AC went out, I remember sitting next to Royce Young, uh, covers the, the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder for, for ESPN, one of my guys. You could see people in the stands, like we were all sweating. We were sweating through our shirts. It was just hot and, and incredibly hot. And yet you see all these fans just fanning themselves. And I was like, that's so odd. And then you realize those had to have been distributed before the game by the game ops for, um, for, for the San Antonio Spurs. And so then that's when like the, the ominous music starts to play in your head. Yeah. Where yeah. you're like, wait a minute, was this all premeditated? that the, the Spurs knew that the fans would need fans, literally, um, to cool themselves down. But you know what? Taking the tinfoil hat off myself, that was, uh, that's, that's an outrageous, bold claim. I, I rescind all those comments, um, that, that there was a conspiracy to shut off the AC and make sure LeBron James would be carted off the floor. That was the, probably the craziest game. And then, I mean, uh, I didn't get to go to that Cleveland game, the first game back that LeBron went to Cleveland. But oh, yeah. those who told me who went there, they've never heard, seen anything like that. And in the 30 for 30 about that 2011 Heatles team, uh, I think that's going to be a dark day for the NBA is how the Cleveland fans, the signs, the messages, the chants, the batteries, all of that stuff hurled both hurled both uh figuratively and literally at lebron james um some some stuff where you just wonder like are we crazy like are we taking yeah. sports way too seriously like that was the miami heat season there where it was just like i think we're taking this way too seriously are is that a uh, landline that is a, a train um, that is oh, okay. when i'm on a podcast jp i try to think of the hot take train the hot take okay. train is here it just made a horn um, so I got to come up with something, uh, the end of the season, the Utah jazz will be the number one seed. That's my hot take. And I'm sticking to it just for you, JP and the train that just went by the hot take train is here. And I kind of floated this idea on uh, Spence check it's uh, radio show, but, um, I'll say it for you. I, I see no reason why the Utah jazz won't be the number one seed at the end. And that is the way to end on round ball roundup on utahjazz.com tom haberstrow national nba insider catch him on true hoop catch him on the haber show tom thank you so much thank you jp anytime <laughs>